So we have a wonderful treat this Sunday. Uh, you don't get to hear me speak. You don't have to be in, endure my speaking. Uh, because we have our guest speaker, who's not really a guest because you're part of the congregation, uh, but our very own Rachel Sosby is going to be bringing the word today. So I'm very grateful to hear what you have to say. And for those of you tuning in on Facebook Live, this is Rachel. She's really cool. And I'm the pastor of this church, but you don't have to hear me speak. Uh, so we're excited for that. So Rachel, I'm just going to turn it over to you. Does that sound good? Sound good. All right. Well, greetings. As Pastor Patrick said, I'm not Patrick. Mm-hmm. I'm Rachel. And uh, we started at the beginning of worship saying, you know, he was on vacation last week. So asked me to come and preach. So he could have the week off and enjoy some time with family. So I said yes. So we'll see how this goes. This is my first time preaching, so it'll be good. So <laughs> I had I enjoyed looking at, at Philadelphia, and it's been an interesting experience. They are a little bit of a different church than what we've had before. So as a reminder, we are in the sixth week of our seven-week series. This is our second to last church, and we've narrowly focused on the Book of Revelation. And even within that, we've narrowed down further and looked at just chapters 1 through 3, just at the, at the seven letters to the seven churches. And in those letters, we hear a message of who the Lord is. We're given an encouragement to the church in the ancient world, but also a message for us today, and a message for all believers, past, present, and future of the kingdom to come. We're examining how the past, present, and spiritual worlds held in the words of Revelation collide. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us here in this place. Thank you for providing the time and space to worship you, to learn about you more, to dive into your word, free of persecution, free of fear. Help us to take this time and use it for your glory. Open our hearts, open our minds to your word. Let whatever is of you come out of my mouth, let everything else fall away, and focus this time on you and on your word. In your name we pray. Amen. So a little bit of background for Philadelphia. Philadelphia was founded in 189 BC and was named for the king's brother, a great general, Adonis Philadelphus. I did not make that up, but it is the name. <laughs> so it is a name after a general. And it's situated kind of in the middle of the road. It's situated, it's a border town. So anyone heading east to Asia has to pass Philadelphia. But, unlike a lot of the other towns that were situated in that same way, there's no garrison. There's not an army waiting and keeping order. The way this town was used was as a missionary town, believe it or not. It was a missionary town for not Christian church. It was a missionary town for Greek culture. There's actually archaeological evidence of neighboring towns that was taken over by Greek culture. Within 10 years of contact with Philadelphia, their original language was destroyed. It was no longer speaking, spoken or written, it was only used Greek. So this town was kind of a main line for communications to flow through from Asia to then from Rome to Asia. And so they know how to do this missionary thing. Now the geography of this area was kind of interesting. In their backyard was a volcano, which was great for the for gardening, you know, for, for land. It was a very fertile place, but a little unstable. You know, every once in a while they got rain down 
by action, lava, and stuff from volcanoes. And as if that wasn't bad enough, they also sat on the fault line. They sat on the Atlas fault system. And when these terrible earthquakes would come, all the city builders would just pack everything up and head out of town. And just where they, you know, where they were growing stuff and had their sheep and things, they just go camp out there until all the aftershocks and things broke and they head back into town. So it was a fairly unstable area. In fact, in AD 17, there was such a terrible earthquake that it destroyed not only Philadelphia, but it also destroyed the church we heard about last week. It destroyed the town of Sardis as well. And it was so devastating that the government decided to exempt them from taxes. No one's got to be bad if the government's going to say, you don't have to pay taxes. And in addition, the emperor Tiberius gave personal funds, his personal funds, to help rebuild the city. And so the city, as a thank you, renamed themselves as Neo Caesarea, the new city of Caesar. But yet they're still called Philadelphia still Caesar. Um, religiously, this city was very religious. Like a lot of the other towns, it had lots of temples. But this one had so many temples that it was known as Little Athens. And they also, since you know the emperor had been good to them in the past, they were also a home ground for emperor worship. And when they worshipped the emperor, they used the proper title for the emperor, the son of the Holy One. And as Pastor Patrick read, the text also tells us that there were Jews in the area, because they talked about a synagogue. So they were all mixed up, but very religious in what they did. The church itself, we don't know a lot about, outside of what the text tells us. The text tells us that it was small. It was, it was small in power. And there's not a lot of reasoning for why. They, a lot of sources I read just said it was small. Small number, small power. That's about as far as they could tell anything about it. So that is the Church of Philadelphia. That's where we're at. True one. True one.
The only time holy shows up in the Old Testament is if it's talking about God or something of God. So for the image of Jesus to be the Holy One, it's already associating him with God. It's that reminder that he is of God. He is not just some man that can walk around. He is God. Then we get to the Holy One, the True One. Remember, this is a place of emperor worship. And they use the proper title, the Son of the Holy One. So all those pagans that have converted to Christianity are being reminded that they are worshiping the Holy One, the True One, not a false son like the Emperor. They're worshiping the Holy One, the Son of the True God. In John, Jesus reminds his believers that I am the Father, and the Father is in me. This image of the Holy One, the True One, speaks to the understanding of Jesus' true identity of Son of God to both former Emperor-worshiping pagans and Christian Jews. So what about that second part of the identity? The key of David. Does anyone know where that's from? Any guesses? Second Daniel? No. <laughs> Old Testament, you're close there. It's from Isaiah. Directly from Isaiah 22. And I will place in his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open, and none shall shut, and he shall shut, and none shall open. It's key of David, is shorthand for kingdom of God. It's Jesus' claim as the way. It's Jesus' claim as the way, the only way to God, to salvation, to God's kingdom. He is the key. He doesn't just hold the key. He is the key. Now, mentions David. So let's look a little bit at David. Who was David? Kept 
my words and have not denied my name. So what are they known for? Keeping his word. Keeping his word. They're known for being faithful. And they were able to go with little power. With little power. They're known for being having little power. They're also known for having an open door. Remember, this was a missionary town. So not just within their church, which in their culture, their wider culture, they're known as a, as a doorway. So they've taken that identity as a church. God has reminded them of that identity, of those skills that they have from outside the church, that they have those missionary plans. So what is that open door? The, two, the sources I saw gave two, offered two things. One is a reminder of salvation. Remember that key of David is code word for the kingdom of God. So this open door is they have salvation. They're being reminded that they already have salvation. That Jesus, they have Jesus. Jesus is the only way to salvation. That he is the way to life. And way back in the beginning of Revelation, we're reminded in the, in the introduction to the visions and the letters, that Jesus has the keys to death and Hades. Next, the door is also opportunity. They're the gateway to Asia. They're known as missionary town. Has God given these former pagan worshipers a new way of life and proclamation? Seems that he has, and that they've been faithful in it, despite having no power. They have kept God's word and not denied his Next is normally the disconnect, but here, remember, they're doing it right. There's nothing to disconnect. They are given encouragement. Because you have kept my word, I, my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. So what is their encouragement? The hour is coming. Jesus is coming again. That's, that's an encouragement. What else? They won't face the trial. They won't face the trial. They've already faced their trial and proven themselves. They've been tested. There's no need to test them again. What are the trials that they've already endured? I don't have this up on the slide. I have to go back and remember a little bit. In verse 9, they had trouble with their Jewish brothers and sisters. They, and culturally, this isn't as in the text, this is just as you kind of know this history. Culturally, they're ostracized. They are slandered against. They're shut out of their community. They're shunned. They're disowned. They're beaten. They're put on trial. They have punishment. They've already endured these things. And they're promised that since they've already endured these things, they will not face them with the rest of endure these trials. They've already shown their faithfulness. So instead of remedy, we have promises. What are the promises that they're given? I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never 
never shall he go out of it. And I'll write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. So what are the promises that Jesus gives them? Just in verse 11, what, what do we see? I'm coming, get ready. <laughs> They're promised a crown. It's kind of a weird promise. Um, what else? In verse 11 and 12, what do you see? I'm going to make him a pillar in the temple of God. Pillar.
have all these other substitute names for Yahweh. And so for God to promise by his name on these people is quite a promise. It's quite an honor. In his second letter to Corinthians, Paul writes about an exchange that happens with this writing. They write on him. He writes on them. They write on him. But the writing is done by God. You yourself are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that we are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And then the letter closes, just like all the other letters close. It closes with an invitation. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying in the churches. So what do you hear? What have you heard these last six weeks? Now, we're, this is interactive. So look at the, you have sheets in front of you or next to you with open hearts and open doors. We're going to look a little bit more at David and look at our open hearts and open doors. So David's heart was open and was written on by God. David had an open heart filled by God. He had a heart for God, a heart to follow. I mean, seriously, who in their right mind as a child goes and picks a fight with a giant with only a slingshot when all his older brothers wouldn't do it? He's the one that goes out and tosses off the king's armor and weapons and goes with only his faith and a slingshot. And then later, he goes into the court of a powerful man that wants to kill him. But since God has led him there, he puts his faith and trust in God and goes willingly to stand and serve as called. And as an old man, he has built the resources and a legacy then God tells him to turn it over to the next generation, but it's not his job to do that. And David willingly does so because the Lord tells him. David trusts the Lord because he knew him intimately. Now David's open doors never looked quite what he expected them to be. They never quite led to where he wanted them to go. But he trusted the Lord and followed him, even when it was hard. The church in Philadelphia did the same. They were not a great power, but they opened their hearts to the Lord. They displayed open hearts to see and use those open doors. It didn't lead to greatness in the structures of their day. And it didn't give them great power, but it led to great things with God. What has the Lord put in your heart? What doors are being opened by Christ for you? Recently, I had the opportunity to attend the annual mission festival at my former church. And I really enjoyed connecting with my, co my old co-workers and friends. And when they asked me where I was worshiping, I had the joy of telling them about Christ the Lord. Over and over again, I told them about the openness and faithfulness of this church. I've seen and worked with a lot of different mission congregations and different mission leaders in different stages of development, in different places and in different settings. I've seen missions flourish, I've seen them falter, I've seen them 
this open heart and the trust to walk through the doors that the Lord opens for them. While I was preparing for today, I kept seeing your faces. I kept seeing Christ the Word Church. Every time there's been a crossroads, you have faithfully walked through those opportunities. You seek the open doors with an open heart, filled with Christ. The faithless and trust continues to guide this church. We each have open hearts and faithfulness in the true one, the only one, and a courage and trust and readiness for the door, open doors the Lord has for you. They're hardly the expected ones, and sometimes not even the, ones, the wished for ones. But they've been accepted with open hearts, like David at Philadelphia. So today, I want us each to take a moment in prayer to think about how God has opened or is opening our heart. He needs for the hungry, for children, for refugees, for seniors, for parents. Maybe it's just to share your faith and give a firm foundation of faith to your kids or your grandkids or someone else's kids. Maybe it's a specific person that has been hurt by the church and has fallen away. Maybe it's for a person that doesn't know Christ Jesus. Maybe it's just a Bible verse that keeps going in your head that you can't escape. Maybe you don't know exactly what it is. Maybe you just want to be used well for God's purpose. Write or draw how God has opened your heart. When you're done with that, flip it over and think about the open doors. What are the opportunities God has placed before you through the gifts he gives you? Through your relationships, through your experiences, where has he positioned you to be used? And then when you're done, place them in the offering baskets and we pray over them. But then before we leave, collect them. I want you to take them home and look at them. Continue to pray for that open heart and to be aware of the open doors. Whatever God is opening in your heart and opening doors for you, know that it's not for you to have more to do. Not for you to add to your to do list. It's not even for you to do on your own. He has prepared you. He is preparing you so that He might bring about His work through you. It's not you doing work, but Him working through you. Your only job is to be faithful to Him and to stay open. He opens the doors for what has already been worked in your heart through time with him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give this time of reflection over to you. Thank you for the witnesses of David in Philadelphia and for Christ the Lord Church. Help us to continue to be a lampstand to this community, to those around us. Continue to guide us, to open our hearts, and to open doors for us. Help us to recognize those open doors and give us the courage to step through. In your name.